All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today I am joined by Mark Schofield of the Touchdown Wire at USA Today to talk about the top quarterback prospects in the 2021 NFL Draft, focusing on Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Mac Jones, and how good of NFL players they might become given their current draft projection. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalcFans.com. RIP, still going strong on Twitter, at FalcFans. And, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In today's episode, I am rejoined by Mark Schofield of Touchdown Wire of USA Today. We had Mark back on the podcast many months ago talking about the quarterbacks, and I wanted to have Mark on several times prior to this, but... Truth be told, I procrastinated on watching the quarterbacks myself, and I wanted to have a conversation with Mark that was somewhat informed with my own opinions. And because I procrastinated, we had to wait till this long. So today's episode is going to be part one of two episodes with Mark. The first one's going to be focusing on Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Mac Jones, the first three quarterbacks projected by most to go off the board. And we'll focus on their uh, potential scheme fits with the teams that are projected to take them. And then on part two, which is planning on airing on Tuesday of next week, uh, we will get more into Justin Fields and Trey Lance. Um, and we'll also talk about some QB sixes and, you know, we'll maybe even devote some time talking about the possibility of the Falcons trading back with a team like the Patriots who Mark also covers for various websites and podcasts. So without further ado, guys, let's jump into that conversation right now with Mark Schofield, Touchdown Wire USA Today, talking about Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Mac Jones. All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today I am joined by my good friend, Mark Schofield, who covers the New England Patriots, has his own podcast and is our go to QB guru right here on the Locked on Falcons podcast. And Mark is going to be here talking with us about some of the top quarterbacks in the draft. And and before I introduce Mark uh, back to the show, I do want to say that. You know, today's episode and really the next couple of episodes when we talk with Mark about these quarterbacks, we're going to do a lot of nitpicking, or at least I'm going to do a lot of nitpicking. And I don't want to necessarily speak for Mark in that regard. And a lot of it is due to the fact that we're talking about sort of how we slot and rank and, and, and stack these quarterbacks. And that leads to you nitpicking some of these guys and, and talking a little bit more about some of their issues uh, than necessarily talking about the positives. I just want to say with a blanket statement, and again, don't want to speak for Mark here, but I like all these quarterbacks that we're going to talk about. And so don't assume that just because I'm focusing maybe on some one guy's shortcomings versus another, that that means that I think that guy is a bad quarterback. But Mark, with that being said, welcome back to the show. Aaron. Thanks for having me, buddy. And you're absolutely right. These guys are all bad. They're all awful. Um, Justin Fields is not worth a top 14 pick. He's worth a 15th overall pick, though. I'll, I'll say that as a as a Patriots fan. And, of course, I come here today um, with a blanket offer of whatever you guys want at number four, Atlanta. <laughs> like, whatever it will take, Stephon Gilmore, Rhode Island, like, whatever you guys want, we'll give to you so we can get up to number four to draft Justin Fields. I think I think we'll, we'll get into that conversation uh, a little bit later. But, uh, you know, I want to focus a little bit, you know, 
everybody talks about these quarterbacks. Uh, how do you rank them? How do you stack them? Who do you like more in this? And I think this late in the process and, and you know, uh, I planned initially at the outset of this offseason to have Mark on several times over the last couple of months. And due to my own procrastination watching these quarterbacks, uh, I sort of kept punting that further and further. But now that it seems like things are starting to solidify on where these quarterbacks potentially are going to be headed uh, to each team, I kind of want to focus more on these guys' fits in sort of specific uh, situations, uh, at least with particularly with Lawrence and, and, and Zach Wilson, since it seems like everybody kind of knows that those guys are going to be the first two picks in the draft. And going back to something I know that you're familiar with and, and something uh, that our, our good friend Jordan Reed, uh, a past guest on here on Locked on Falcons over at the Draft Network, and sort of talking about the three Ps for developing quarterbacks and those Ps being protection, uh, play calling, and playmakers. And, you know, I think those are pretty self-evident that for a lot of these quarterbacks, their success and failure in the NFL is based entirely or not entirely, but mostly around not necessarily their individual skill, but kind of the situation that they go to and and certain guys are successful and other guys are not successful uh, largely due to that. I'm curious from your perspective, Mark, where do you sort of uh, fall in that regard. How much, you know, is it really sort of environment or those three P's or, or whatever you want to call it that leads to certain guys being successful at the next level? Yeah, Aaron, I think, you know, Jordan's right. He's absolutely right about this. Um, for most quarterbacks, not all, but for most quarterbacks, that's what it comes down to. You know, the three P's or scheme fit or coaching fit or landing spotter, whatever you want to phrase it. Because if you're a top quarterback prospect in the NFL draft, you're pretty darn good at playing quarterback. Like, even if you're a guy that's going to go on day three, you're pretty good at it. Um, So then it becomes what happens next, whether it's the coaching fit and how they can develop quarterbacks if they've had a proven track record of doing it or not, whether it's the playmakers around you. Like, if you're walking into a situation, like, look at Sam Darnold in New York. Say what you want about Adam Gase, but they didn't have a ton of weapons around him either. So that's a situation where a quarterback maybe doesn't have a chance to really do what he can do or develop what he can develop into. And now we'll see what he's able to do this next season now down in Carolina. And so, you know, there are some quarterbacks like, you know, Paxton Lynch, Johnny Menzel, others that maybe had talent, but there were other things going on. It was more on them and their failures. But for most quarterbacks, whether they succeed or fail, whether they boom or bust in the NFL, it's landed spot, it's coaching fit, it's development. It's all the things around them not just the players themselves. And with that being said, you know, I do want to start talking a little bit more about these top quarterbacks with Trevor Lawrence being the first on our list to hit uh, about their potential scheme fit. And we'll get into that as we continue today's episode with Mark Schofield. But before we get there, guys, I do have to note that major league baseball is back baby. And that means I should plug the daily podcast devoted to your favorite MLB team, including the Atlanta Braves. Check out the Lockdown Braves podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. They say it's a tradition like no other. And another tradition like no other is where you can bet on your sports action. And bet online is the fastest and easiest way to do that. And whether you're betting on the Masters uh, or looking at the NBA, NHL, NASCAR, FCS college football, or Major League Baseball, 
BetOnline has you covered, and it's not just sports that BetOnline has you covered. It's awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Get real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine because BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Just head over to the website or sign up with your mobile device at BetOnline.ag. Today, use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit again. That's Promo code locked on at betonline.ag and you'll get your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So you guys know that I have you covered on all things Falcons, but what about the rest of sports? Well, host Peter Bukowski now has you covered with the Locked On Today podcast. It's all the sports news that you need, including the Masters, every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Mark, um, we've known for months now that Trevor Lawrence is probably going to be the number one pick. It seems like there's a 99% certainty at this point in time, I guess when we're talking about scheme fit and all that sort of thing, what do you think of sort of his ability to transition into a Daryl Bevel offense that he's going to have in Jacksonville? I mean, I, I think Lawrence is fairly scheme diverse, you know, in terms of what he was asked to do in college, what he showed flashes of in college, both as a passer and a, even as a ball carrier. Cause I, I think he's sort of underrated as an athlete. Um, I, I think he's fairly schematically diverse. I think what's interesting about, you know, looking at Urban Meyer for a second, because I think we should kind of start there too. Meyer over his career has shown an ability to tailor his offense to his quarterback. You think about turning Alex Smith into the first overall pick, turning Tebow into a, a first round selection, which that's more Josh McDaniels than anything else, you know, but th- those are two diametrically different quarterbacks, but he found ways to structure an offense and the schemes around both of those players to make it work. And so I think, you know, whatever they decide to do Jacksonville, you know, whether it's more ball controlled downfield vertical passing game, like we've seen from Bell in the past, or they do something more spread based, like we saw with Urban Meyer and Alex Smith at Utah. I think, you know, Trevor Lawrence can run that. I, I think that's part of the, you know, when you look at these top five guys, I think Lawrence and then to a lesser extent, but still a pretty good extent, Wilson, Fields, and Lance are fairly schematically diverse. Like I can picture those guys running most offenses. I think the one guy that's more schematically limited is Jones, which I know we're going to talk about in a bit. But I think Lawrence, whatever they want him to do, he can run it. Um, and I would expect that offense to look more like the Utah offense with Alex Smith than anything else. Now we talk about sort of, guys that are quote unquote generational prospects and that term often probably too often gets thrown around and without sort of asking you where you sort of lie on that with Trevor Lawrence and how he fits into that paradigm. But you know, the last time we had a guy like that was Andrew Luck, right? And he turned into a very good NFL player, but probably didn't quite live up to the hype because of this sort of environment that he found himself in Indianapolis with injuries and a bad offensive line and Ryan Grigson, et cetera. Um, But I guess from your perspective, what do you, if anything, is your main concern that if we're say five or more years down the road and Trevor Lawrence is just a good quarterback and not necessarily the great one um, that I think a lot of people think he has the potential to be, you know, what is for you the thing that you could look ahead and say, maybe this is the one thing that might prevent him from reaching the ceiling? You know, I think it's interesting, Aaron, when you look at this Clemson offense, 
you know, when there's been a lot of talk recently about progressions and full field reads and things like that, there are a lot of simplified designs in this Clemson offense. Now, you know, I don't think that's an indication that Trevor Lawrence can't run a quote unquote pro offense, whatever that is, can't work through reads because there's evidence of him doing it at times. There's examples of him looking off safeties and things like that. You know, but it's it's sort of taking that step from the Clemson offense to what we expect Jacksonville's offense to look like. You know, I think there's going to be a developmental curve for him. I, I don't think it's like an easy like day one plug and play. He's ready to go. I think there's going to be a learning curve for him, and I think there are moments on film when he needs to get faster with his mind, when he needs to get better with his eyes. You look at an interception he threw against Virginia down in the red zone, where he just never even tried to move the safety in the middle of the field and basically threw it right to him. And so I, I think that's in conjunction with, if you look at his 2019 tape, some ball placement issues, some accuracy issues, particularly in that intermediate area of the field, 10 to 19 yards or so, you know, it wasn't as good as you'd like it to be. So those two things I think are things that could hold him back, things that could prevent him from being, you know, this great elite NFL quarterback that people expected him to be, say, this time last year, when it was generational, best since luck, best since man, and best since Elway. Is he that? No, I don't think he is. I think he's a very good prospect. I think he's QB1. I, I, I think there's a reason he's going first overall. But I, I think this idea that he's generational, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I, I think, you know, those other guys were cleaner prospects. I think, you know, Trevor Lawrence has some things that he needs to improve on and some areas of weakness that he can get better at. It's not to say he can't do it. And that's an argument, you know, we'll have this throughout the conversation. The idea that these guys can't do things. No, 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 no. There's evidence of him being able to do that. It's just he's going to have to get better at it as he gets to the NFL. Absolutely. And, you know, Trevor Lawrence is is, is an outstanding quarterback. So, uh, as I said at the top, you know, I think he's outstanding. But I think a lot of it, you know, Jacksonville is not necessarily a place where we've known for great quarterbacks uh, to go. And um, we'll see if Urban Meyer and company will do a better job than than some of the uh, their predecessors in developing him. But as we sort of move along, talking more about Zach Wilson, who's penciled in after Trevor Lawrence to be that second quarterback um, taken off the board. You've talked about this, uh, how in terms of BYU and their usage of play action makes a player like Wilson a potential good scheme fit in the offense that people expect the Jets to run in that sort of Mike LaFleur, not necessarily Matt LaFleur, but sort of derivative of that Kyle Shanahan system. Um, But you've also sort of raised concerns that he may not be as clean a fit as some people project. Maybe could you elaborate further on that? Yeah. And, you know, I I think there's a reason people have made the connection between Wilson and the New York Jets, because Mike LaFleur, we expect it to be, you know, his offense and offshoot of his brother's offense, the Shanahan, McVay, outside zone, boot action, Stefanski, whatever you want to call it. And if you look at Zach Wilson in his sophomore year, then to his junior year, like uh, their new offensive coordinator that they brought in, like he's sort of in that tree as well. Like that's sort of his school of thought, the sort of his approach. And so, you know, you saw a lot of his production this year came running that kind of offense. And so the initial, and it makes sense, right? It's like, oh, well, if he had this huge leap, took this huge step forward running that offense, well, this is a perfect fit. And that's true, I think, to an extent. But I think there's also some other elements to look at. One, he was playing behind a tremendous offensive line. He had incredible protection. Um, He was playing with some receivers that bailed him out at times. Like you see throws against UCF, throws against North Alabama or Houston. And those are guys downfield making plays. That's not really a knock on Wilson. It's just 
a matter of fact. Like some of his splash throws that will be part of the highlight reel package when he gets drafted, you'll see guys making plays on the under, other end of the ball. Um, but the other thing, and this is the more concerning part, it's sort of that process versus results argument with Zach Wilson with other quarterbacks too. And Benjamin Solak has written about this as well. I've done some video work on it. You see him running these outside zone boot designs and he's constantly either taking deep shots or pushing the ball to the sideline when a lot of those designs are really created to open up the middle of the field. And there's a perfect example against North Alabama, Aaron, where early in the game, they run one of these half rolls off play action, off boot action, is a post route over the top, a dig route over the middle. Post route is double covered, but he throws it anyway. And his receiver makes a great play and it's a huge gain, but the dig routes wide open in the middle of the field. He's not looking there. And my concern is it's a splash play. It looks great. Highlight reel type of moment. But it's North Alabama on a Saturday. What's going to happen when you try that against New England on a Sunday or another NFL secondary on a Sunday? That sort of process might not lend itself to sustained NFL success. I'd much rather him throw the dig route because that's what might be open in the NFL, and that's what you've got to take. If he's not going to attack that middle of the field, teams can take away the boundaries. Teams can take away the middle of the field, and you've got to be able to adapt your game as a quarterback. So that process concerns me. Again, it sounds super nitpicky, and I understand that. But when you're talking about a kid that's going to go second overall, and when you're talking about something that you're handing the keys of the franchise to, nitpicky matters, especially when you're deciding between the quarterback that might go next at three or might go next after that at four, or who knows, might even go at five or six or seven. So this is the hand up with him. And if you're going to say that he's this perfect scheme fit for this offense, he's run it, and he's had great production and results, but the process concerns me a bit. Now, another thing that concerns me with Zach Wilson, you talked about uh, that protection he got at BYU getting those clean pockets. I watched the Coastal Carolina game, and from my perspective, I saw Wilson really struggle uh, in that game where he was pressured a lot more consistently than he had seen in previous games. And I was basically doing a very rough charting using my fingers, so very unscientific. But by my count, Wilson was only accurate of maybe – like two of nine plays where he was pressured in that game, compare that to the accuracy where he was relatively clean. And it was like over 80, 85% or something like that on 20 some odd other plays. And so I'm curious for you, is that a big red flag for you? Because I know in my past, there have been quarterbacks that I was high on, but then got to the league and, and couldn't deal well with pressure and really struggled at the next level. And so that's something that always sort of stands out in my mind when I see that. Or do you think a player like Wilson, because he has that sort of mobility, and I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm thinking of Blaine Gabbert uh, as the player that stands right. out to me. And, you know, we saw Gabbert not be this sort of uh, be a little bit more of a statue in the pocket, uh, despite his athleticism. But do you think a player like Wilson is going to be able to mitigate that because of how good he is being able to make plays off structure, extend plays outside the pocket and, and basically, you know, do his best Aaron Rodgers impression by, you know, tossing up these dimes, you know, on the move uh, while moving left or moving right or whatever the case may be. So I'm curious how how concerned are you about that particular Coastal Carolina game and his ability to handle pressure? Yeah, his his pocket management skills, his ability to handle pressure, that's an area of concern with me with him. I thought there were far too many times where he bailed pockets that were relatively clean. You know, because he has that ability to escape, extend, make plays on the move off of structure outside of the pocket. I get a lot of Baker Mayfield vibes watching Zach Wilson. And I really think sort of his range of outcomes is like bad Baker, 
to Baker plus with a slice of maybe a sprinkle, a dash of Mahomes in there. Like that's the upper end. That's his ceiling. His low might be a Baker on a bad day, which isn't a bad quarterback. It's a guy you can win with. But I do think that his pocket management is going to be something that he has to sort of get better at because you're not always going to be able to outrace guys to the edge and live out there as a, as a quarterback in the NFL. It's one thing, again, doing it against Coastal Carolina or Navy or Houston or those teams like that. But when you've got the Vaughn Millers of the world chasing you down, like those guys can beat you to the edge. Those guys will st- stick with you when you're trying to flush around them. And then you're under pressure again. Um, so it's, a, it's something he's going to have to learn and something he's going to have to get better at. I do think his athleticism, you know, it's interesting. You know, we used to think that like, you know, pocket pressure and noise is a bit staticky. Like, can they handle playing from the pocket? But now we're trending towards wanting guys that can make moves on the outside because we want to get them into pressure situations. It's just sort of weird sort of conundrum, you know, but long answer short, it is a concern. I think that he'll need, again, that sort of protection and learn how to handle the pocket and make throws from the pocket and not bail from clean pockets. That's something he's going to have to improve at. Yeah. You know, last tidbit is, you know, my concern is I think specifically because he might go to New New York and, you know, the Jets offensive line has not been known for being great these last couple of years. And that, that to me is, is going to be a big question mark. And I'm, I'm very curious to see how Wilson, how that new, um, regime there sort of handles that uh, moving forward, but uh, we'll continue to move forward on today's locked on Falcons podcast, talking more about these quarterbacks and we'll sort of get into the Matt Jones conversation, given that he has uh, been, I guess, rising up boards or at least surprising people with how high he might be drafted. And we'll talk about whether or not he, he makes sense for a team like the 49ers at that number three overall pick. And we'll continue that here with Mark Schofield here on locked on Falcons. But before we get there, guys, I do want to plug the NBA side of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite NBA team, including the Atlanta Hawks. Check out the Lockdown Hawks podcast hosted by Brad Roland, wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm sure Brad is up there talking a lot about how the Hawks have been somewhat resurgent so far and doing well for Atlanta sports. Given the brave struggles, we'll see what the Falcons can do later this month to make a good name for Atlanta sports. But I have my own personal theory on why the Hawks have had such a successful turnaround. And I think it's because they're getting more protein in their diet because the Hawks are certainly visiting builtbar.com home of the best tasting protein bar out there on the market. Built bars have hundred percent real chocolate in them. They taste just like a candy bar. They come in great flavors like coconut almond, peanut butter, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, and so much more. And built bars just aren't tasty. They're healthy too. They're low in sugar, low in calories, high in protein, high in fiber, those types of things that will allow you to be able to hit three pointers and play press defense, all the sorts of things that you need to be successful in the NBA. And just like the Atlanta Hawks, you should just head over to BillBart.com, Use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. Again, do like Nate McMillan and the Hawks are doing and go to BillBart.com and use that promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. So as we continue today's episode with Mark Schofield talking about these quarterbacks and where Mac Jones could potentially be slotted, Speaking of which, the Locked On NFL Network 
is going to have you covered on where these quarterbacks are going to be slotted because April 19th through 26th, you got to tune in to the ultimate mock draft 2021 featuring analysis from NFL experts like Michael Irvin, Brian Baldinger, and Michael Lombardi. And of course yours truly stay tuned for more information on where you can find the ultimate mock draft 2021 presented by Odyssey and the locked on podcast network. So, Mark, let's talk about Mac Jones and, and let's assume for a second that the rumors saying that the 49ers are absolutely love him are correct and that they plan on taking him with that third overall f- pick. I'm curious, how do you see his scheme fit within the, the Kyle Shanahan offense? I know you mentioned that you don't know if he's as scheme diverse as some of these other guys. I will say this when I've watched Mac Jones, I think there is a lot of Matt Ryan to his game. Um, and we saw how successful Matt Ryan was within that offense. Do you sort of see similarities there? I do. I mean, I, I think the sort of the, the comps that come up with, you know, Mac Jones, Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, like those are the kind of comps that come up. So it's no wonder that as soon as the Niners made the trade to three or even before that, when they were just sitting at a 12, a lot of people thought, hey, Mac Jones, that kind of makes some sense because we saw, you know, obviously what he was made able to do with Matt Ryan and then how much he, you know, how highly Kyle Shanahan speaks of Kirk Cousins and obviously Jimmy Garoppolo and his time in San Francisco. And so it makes sense that I do think that, you know, if you look at what Kyle Shanahan likes to do, play action, you know, getting the running backs involved in the passing game, getting the tight ends involved, you know, designing plays where the quarterback can make some conservative decisions and just get the get ball out to the right read, the right throw, you know, things that all offensive coordinators to do, but things that we really associate with Kyle Shanahan, it, Mac Jones is a fit for that. And I do think that as far as schemes go, that's probably a good fit for Mac Jones, like a more West Coast type of offense or what Shanahan's doing is a good fit for him. I think there are other quarterbacks that would fit it particularly well. I think Trey Lance could run it right now. I think Justin Fields could run it. I think any of the other guys could run it. You know, it's a quarterback-friendly system. And, and the interesting thing in the sort of Mac Jones discussion is, you know, I think he's the floor pick, right? These other four guys, I think, while they might have decent floors, they're all ceiling. Their upside is tremendous. You know, Jones, his ceiling and his floor might be like right next to each other because he might be almost a finished product, but it's a nice, safe, comfortable pick. And I think the team that ultimately drafts Jones, whether it's the 49ers or three or some other team, and this is all but a smokescreen, is going to draft him because they feel that their roster is pretty complete and they want to make a run now and they just kind of need the safer guy. They don't want to wait to develop somebody. Teams that draft, say, a Lance might be like, look, we're a year away or so. Like, we've got time and room to grow and develop a quarterback and build around him. You know, we can go through some bumps right now. And so if the 49ers and Shanahan, they really believe that, look, we're two years removed from a Super Bowl. We have Kittle. We have Juice Jack. We have Ayuk. We've got talent. We brought Trent Williams back so we can get the protection in front of them. Jones might be all we sort of need to make an immediate run with a quarterback on his rookie deal. We can, you know, get rid of Garoppolo and his massive contract. Maybe that's what they're thinking is. I mean, again, if it were me, if I'm in San Francisco and it's Lawrence one, Wilson two, like I'm racing to the podium and it's got Justin Fields name on it. Like that's where I'm going because I think if you're going to give up not just the fu- the first rounder this year, but two future first rounders to go get a guy that can run your offense, man, go get a guy that can transcend your offense. That can like really lay- raise the level of play with everybody around him. And that's an athletic quarterback like Fields, like Lance with those upsides. Maybe they do make the safe pick. 
I'll believe it when I see it. Does Jones fit in San Francisco? Sure. But I think those other guys will fit just as well and perhaps transcend that scheme and make it into something even better than it is right now. Now, much of the talk surrounding Jones has been, as you mentioned, about his ceiling at the next level. And we've seen this push in recent years in particular for more mobile quarterbacks. I think a lot of that has to do with the success of a player like Patrick Mahomes and sort of, you know, teams haven't had as much success, particularly over the last decade, um, developing these sort of quote unquote pure pocket quarterbacks really since a guy like Matt Ryan uh, came out back in 2008. And then you sort of look at, say, the recent failure of a player like Josh Rosen. Do you feel like that's a big contributing factor to that's maybe why a lot of people, whether it's NFL people or whether, you know, it's people on draft Twitter or whatever the case may be, are now scared away from this Mac Jones like player. And I'm wondering, is there a lesson in that um, given that, you know, Rosen kind of went to a bad situation in Arizona and sort of similarly Jones kind of has to go to the right spot in order to sort of not fall into that same sort of trap. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You know, and, Jordan, when I was talking with Jordan, we did a show together. He talked about, you know, Jones is a guy that absolutely needs those three pre's, particularly that protection part, um, because he's going to need to have some clean pockets, some clean throwing lanes. You know, he does sort of tend to struggle under pressure and he doesn't have the super athleticism to escape. Now, to his credit, you can watch games like the Notre Dame game and the semifinals and others. He has a good understanding of his protection schemes up front and where the weaknesses are. There's a great example against Notre Dame early in that game where they bring both linebackers on the inside. He knows that Harris can only block one of the two. Everybody else is covered. So once he sees both those guys come, he immediately spins out of the pocket because he knows if I wait, I'm dead. So he, he's got the mentality and the understanding of protection schemes to know that he has to stay ahead of those because of his athletic limitations. But the, the tricky part is the model for him is Tom Brady, right? Like the guy that like has super pocket awareness, super pocket feel, not a great athlete, you know, but can get by with his footwork and his understanding of the mental side. Well, when you're taking a college kid and saying, look, man, you're going to have to model your game after Tom Brady. Like that's how you're going to have to be successful. That's a tough ask. Like, there's a reason why Tom Brady is going on the Mount Rushmore of QBs. And I know his name's, you know, mud around here. And I'm sorry for burning him up, my friend. But, like, that's the model for him. Um, That's a tough ask. Like, I do think that's why one of the many reasons, plus, you know, the arm talent and the questions about velocity and being able to throw downfield and things like that, that he is more schematically limited than the other guys, which is perhaps, again, why San Francisco was thinking he's perfect for us because of what we do, how we, what we can put in front of him, you know, and to a certain extent, New England, because, you know, they've got a pretty solid offensive line, even though they lost Joe Tooney. You know, if they do sort of try to stay in that Brady time and a rhythm type of offense like they used to run, he could run that too. But, yeah, you drop him into a place like New York with the Jets where you have questions about offensive line. That's tough. You know, and the other thing, the Rosen thing, it's an also a, to bring up Rosen, it's a great reminder that we don't know everything. Like, again, my, Rosen was my QB1, and I missed wildly on him. And part of it was I thought he was ready from the sort of mental perspective, the pocket footwork, and all of that stuff. And we find out later that he couldn't identify a Mike linebacker. Like, he, he just he didn't understand protection schemes. Like, we, th- we had a different vision of him in our minds than the reality was. Now, I don't think that's the case with Jones, but it could be. 
Now, I do think that the idea that, look, when, you know, when Bill O'Brien came in to learn Alabama's offense, they put him in a room with Mac Jones. Like, I do think he understands it. And I do think that shows up on film. But Rosen certainly is a cautionary tale. Now, um, Mark, there's so much more that we can talk about with quarterbacks, and I would love uh, to continue the conversation uh, talking more about Justin Fields and Trey Lance. But we're we're coming to an end for today's episode. So um, as we wrap up, go ahead and and plug your stuff and and where people can find more uh, insight into these quarterbacks. I know you put up a lot of great stuff on YouTube. That's something that I uh, really rely on when it comes to my evaluation of these quarterbacks. So go ahead and plug away. Well, Aaron, thanks, buddy, for having me. Um, always excited to chat with you and catch up. You can find me on the Bird app at Mark Schofield. You'll get a lot of scrubs gifts, but that's kind of how I keep from going insane. Um, Touch.wireusatoday.com. Um, Doug Ferrar and I are ranking top 11 or top 14 at wide receiver like I did. Um, but you mentioned YouTube. I got a lot of resources up there, quarterbacks, receivers, tight ends, edges, whatever. Uh, but you'll see it all on the Bird app at Mark Schofield. Absolutely. Mark, appreciate it. And I have a strong feeling that you will be making another appearance very shortly on Lockdown Falcons. Sounds good to me, my friend. So, guys, as you just heard it, we will have Mark back for part two of our quarterback conversation to talk uh, more about Justin Fields, Trey Lance, maybe a quarterback rising up the boards to be QB six, as well as talking about whether Mark's Patriots uh, will be making that big, bold move to move up the draft board for a quarterback, potentially swapping picks in the round one with a team like the Falcons. And you can expect that part two episode to air on Tuesday, which means we have another episode coming to you on Monday. And of course, Monday means mock draft Monday and mailbag Monday. And this week's mock draft Monday probably will be probably the last time or at least before the week of the draft that I will do my own mock draft. That's probably the plan right now. I just want to sort of go through X number of picks. I haven't decided quite yet, but then we'll probably devote the next mock draft Monday, the 19th to you guys submitting your own mocks and I will sort of rip them apart or praise them or whatever the case may be. So if you have those mocks ready to go and you're ready to send them in, just wait another week and give them that extra coat of polish maybe before you send those in. But that doesn't mean that you can't submit questions for me to answer on the mailbag portion of this upcoming Monday show. And of course that means that you can hit me up and provide that feedback in those questions to me on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons, on Facebook at Lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to LockdownFalcons at mail.com. Appreciate it, guys. Have a great weekend. Until then.